Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. It's brought to you each and every episode by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our good friend Heather Frari heading things up there with their great staff and they're located right at the front spaceage now if that's a word for the rio town marketplace and you can find them on washington just south from 496 downtown lansing take a left that's on the east side of the street you'll see the big building they're right up front you can see right through the windows you can walk right through time as you enter the doors of the record lounge great holiday shopping some big black friday deals to announce some news we'll be having for you coming up next week can't wait to bring that to you. And our thanks once again to Heather Frary and the Record Lounge for their support of the Great Lakes Divide. Starting things off, the Michigan Wolverines trying to continue their stretch run here. And they've been impressive since that 28-21 loss at Penn State. Really, the second half of that game is where I believe the turning point in their entire season has been. And that's both been on defense and offense for the Wolverines. Shea Patterson with a career high, 384 yards passing in last week's 44-10 drubbing of Michigan State. This comes on the heels of an impressive 38-7 road win against Maryland in which the Michigan defense did not allow a single point. Those seven points were on a kick return by Maryland. Then, of course, the week before, that impressive home win over number 8-ranked Notre Dame at the time, 45 14, and they've beaten teams in two different ways. The Irish, it was a run-heavy attack with only 100 yards passing from Patterson against Michigan State. Josh Gaddis picks apart the Michigan State defense. The secondary in particular takes what the defense gives them, and Patterson goes airborne and vertical to all of his impressive targets, and that sets up for what should be a dandy in Bloomington this Saturday, a 3.30 Eastern time start on ESPN the Red Hot Hoosiers. All of a sudden, you look at them in the standings. They're seven and three overall, four and three in the Big Ten. And as I have them in the pecking order for Big Ten bowl bids, they're number seven behind Ohio State, the top team, of course, right now undefeated. I've got Penn State at two, even though Minnesota beat them just in terms of, I think, how the bowl committees will select these teams based on prestige factor based on brand name, based on how they travel, and I think they'll get the nod over Minnesota, but the Gophers will be right there in one of the better bowl games should they finish out this season and go to Indianapolis. That is still yet to be determined. Wisconsin still stands in their way. Now, that game is in Minnesota. That's next week, not this week, but we'll see. It's going to come down to those two teams as Iowa upended the Gophers, handing P.J. Fleck his first loss of the season just this past week. And you got Wisconsin as the four team, I think, overall was Michigan, having lost at Wisconsin, the fifth team in the pecking order. Iowa at six, Indiana seven, and how about the fighting Illini of Illinois at eight? And that leads me to my first question for Tom Crawford. We bring in Blueberry Tom. If you had to vote right now, I'm going to give you three candidates, Tom, for Big Ten Coach of the Year. And I think it's unfair that Ryan Day probably isn't going to get it, but he's taken Ohio State, I think, even next level better than what Urban Meyer had them at. That said, I think it will come down to these three. Tom Allen at Indiana, who was on the hot seat to start the season. P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, who's putting them right now in the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. Or Lovey Smith, who pulled a season right out of the fire and maybe his job along with it with that home win over Wisconsin. They have streaked out now to a 6-4 and four record. They've secured a bowl bid, and it's been really high and dry times for Illinois. But Lovey Smith has turned things around. How would you rank those three coaches in the job they've done this season, one, two, and three, Tom? Well, I, you know, to be honest with you, Ryan, I hesitate because there's there's so much 
there's so much football to be played that will separate uh, and, and better evaluate who those three guys are. And I'm uh, who, who the, of those three guys, who's the best of the three for that uh, role that you're, you know, as far as coach of the year goes. I mean, with, with PJ Fleck, I think he's going to lose his last game. I think they're going to lose at Wisconsin at home. I think Tom Allen, um, you know, is going to lose Saturday. And I think he's going to lose big. I think he's going to lose by three touchdowns and who knows about the Purdue game. So, and, and with Lovey, um, you know, I think they, you know, he, you know, he's in jeopardy right now. I, I'm trying to think who they play. I think they have a formidable opponent. They do. They're at week. Iowa, Tom. At Iowa. That's probably a loss. So I, I'm going to uh, pass on that because it's irrelevant because <laughs> so much football to be played that would determine accurately who that who that uh, coach of the year is. I still think it's going to be P.J. Fleck because of his win over Penn State and the fact that Minnesota has really gone from a virtual bottom dwellers in the Big Ten to now one of the top programs. You have to put them up maybe just a notch below, obviously, Ohio State. They've beaten Penn State. Wisconsin will see. They lost at Iowa. They haven't played Michigan, so that's where they are, and they didn't play Ohio State this year. I think the schedule broke favorably for the Gophers, to say the least in terms of who they had to play in the crossover games against the East Division and, of course, the West a bit weaker than the East, even this year when there's a couple teams that are up. Uh, but we'll go through the schedule in just a little bit for the entire Big Ten. For those three teams in particular, though, only Minnesota has a game in which they are favored. The Gophers are at Northwestern. That should be a walkover game. And the only danger, really, is Minnesota overlooking such a feeble opponent uh, ahead to Wisconsin, which will round out their season and, uh, for all intents and purposes, determine the champion of the West and who goes to Indianapolis. Wisconsin is at home against Purdue. That's a game they should win and win easily. Illinois is at Iowa and Penn State, Ohio State, of course, the big game in the Big Ten this week. One other game, Nebraska at Maryland, as the Cornhuskers are clinging to their bull eligibility lives, like Michigan State, like Purdue, all at four and six on the season. But we start with the Michigan Wolverines in Bloomington against an Indiana team that you can go back to one of the first games I remember, and that was Anthony Carter with the game-winning touchdown catch with Bob Eufer on the call as somehow the Wolverines dodged an enormous upset at home at the hands of the Indiana Hoosiers. But this game's always been wild and wacky. You can go back to several last years when they've been in the same division, played each other every year, Always seems to come down to some oddities. I remember Jake Butt with a, a big performance in an overtime win at Indiana not too long ago. Wolverines are nine and a half point favorites. They started opening in Vegas as seven point favorites. And this game will get started again. 3.30 start time on ESPN. First quote out of the gate from head coach Jim Harbaugh talking about his wide receivers, but maybe not for the reason you would suspect. About the job your receivers did on the perimeter blocking in this game on Saturday. Yeah, that's been a, that's been a really good thing for our team. Uh, I'll say probably four or five weeks ago, just uh, you know, it was it was at a point early where it wasn't that good. That's an area we've really got really got better and really improved uh, steadily, and, and it's it was at its best in this past game. Uh, that's been a been a real focus for us, and uh, uh, how do you get yards after contact? Great uh, tackles or good guys block. If you don't have the ball, to me, you're a blocker uh, on a down or a play, uh, and that that was big this week. And it's true. This is a very talented unit for Michigan. We've said this and sung their praises 
all season long. And finally, they tap into that with full potential against Michigan State, whether it's Tariq Black or Donovan Peoples-Jones, Ronnie Bell. I mean, this entire assortment, Nico Collins, you know, you always get used to, and I think spoiled by in many ways, Tom, over the years, the great receiving cores that Michigan has had great weapons on the outside, typically receivers with speed in space and size in space to go up and make big grabs. We saw a lot of that against Michigan State and the blocking that Jim Harbaugh just highlighted there. Just how big of a factor is that in this Michigan offense for what they're trying to achieve? Well, it's huge. And, and the thing that that I grumbled about uh, after the Wisconsin game, I remember the podcast that you and I had, Ryan, was that the receivers were standing around watching the running backs try to, you know, try to get yards. They're just standing there watching. I mean, I, I don't know what lit, lit a fire under their asses, but now they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. This goes back to the wide blocker role that Bo Schembechler would call on uh, John Colazar to do and some of these great wide receivers, Jimmy Smith of the past, that didn't have a lot of catches but would block very well and, uh, and set up the running game. And the other thing about this wide receiving core Ryan, uh, besides their ability to catch the ball is, is the act, yards after catch. We saw that against Michigan State. Ronnie Bell's breaking tackles, uh, so is Donovan Peoples-Jones, and I think that's it's just a glaring difference. If there's one position, uh, either offense or defense, that has proved the most, it's the wide receiver role. We knew they had the talent. Now they're executing. And I was just talking about the upperclassmen from Ronnie Bell, the sophomore on up of the three juniors, Black, Collins, Peoples-Jones. These guys, unless maybe DPJ declares for the draft, I don't anticipate that he will. They will all be back next year. And they are a solid two strings deep in that department, Tom, when you factor in the freshmen who have been bright at times. And Giles Jackson, of course, the touchdown late in the game against Michigan State, looking good there. Mike Sandra still has established himself as well. Your thoughts on the two freshman wideouts for Michigan? Yeah, that's true. I mean, Sandra still came in. He he got everybody's attention at the spray game. He was an early enrollee, and that really made a difference. And there was a lot of buzz about him going into the season. It took him a little bit while, you know, for him, for him to have an opportunity to catch the ball. But, yeah, they're deep at wide receiver. Uh, that's not going to be a problem next year. It's uh, they got to do some rebuilding of the offensive line and just the other – other parts of the, you know, and, and in the secondary, they lose a safety and lose a corner not to get ahead to, to 2020 already. But uh, yeah, a wide receiver is going to be a, a a position of strength for uh, quite some time, I believe. Another thing on offense, along with the emergence, of course, of Shea Patterson and, and his uh, potency as a weapon. And, and again, I kept stressing this. You did too. Throwing the ball down the field, stretching a defense, taking your shots. I think they need to do that against Indiana. I think they will be able to do that. But a big reason why, steady play from the offensive line. We've seen them come together in a big way, I think, again, from that Notre Dame game going forward. In addition to that, there's been a clear hierarchy established in the running backs in terms of depth. Zach Charbonnet is the bell cow. He's got double-digit touchdowns on the season. Hassan Haskins is a nice complimentary piece to him. And for every five carries, you probably see two or three go to Charbonnet, maybe two to Haskins, and one every odd carry to True Wilson. How satisfied are you right now, Tom, with what the Wolverines are trying to do with the run game? Michigan State decided they were going to take it away last week. They're going to pick their poison. They got burned because, again, Patterson, the passing game, was well-equipped to make them pay down the field. But the balance on offense for Michigan, the play calling, the rhythm, do you think they're hitting full stride as we speak? Yeah, well, they had balance uh, all those other games. I mean, in fact, uh, since, I mean, in the last, I'm trying to think, last five games, Michigan has scored 38-plus points. Uh, they've outgained their opponents 
you know, nearly a thousand yards when you add them all up. Um, and they did that prior with balance. Uh, this was not balanced in terms of the actual yardage. I mean, I think the running game did have a role, um, but and they did go wide to, to, to stretch Michigan State. But this was the ultimate uh, example of what RPO is, is, is all about. It's taking what the defense uh, gives you, as you indicated in your opening remarks. That was never more uh, you know, exemplified than it was against Michigan State. And obviously a, a Michigan State team that uh, is hurting on it pretty much at every level on that defense. I mean, their interior line is pretty strong, but their linebacker core uh, is not obviously anywhere near without Joe Bocci. And then their secondary is absolutely unraveling right now. I, I mean, that was – if you were going to give out some grades, uh, the secondary would probably get an E or an F, whatever, however you want to grade it. No doubt about it, uh, Tom. And when I look at this offensive line from Michigan, you mentioned the battle in the trenches against Michigan State. That takes us to our next soundbite. Now, this is a Wolverines offensive line with a ton of experience, three seniors and a junior starting, left tackle to right guard. You do have a sophomore in Jalen Mayfield who had to step in because of injury this season, and he's done fairly well as the starter at right tackle. Cesar Ruiz, the junior center, the two guards on either side, both seniors and Bredesen on one and John Runyon, of course, bolstering this line as the left tackle. He was asked to comment on the dirty play last week of Jacob Panaschuk, who took that full run, blindsiding Shea Patterson after the ball was out. Just a brutally dirty play for which he was ejected. Here are John Runyon's thoughts on that play and the player, Jacob Panaschuk. I, I didn't see it at the time. Um, I always knew that number 96, um, kind of dirty player, him and his brother. Um, I really don't care too much for them. Um, I made clear that you can go back, watch the film, have a play where, you know, I cleaned up 96, take him like 20 yards up, down the field, I guess, or up the field, I don't know. Um, not really a big fan of him. Um, I don't want to really talk trash about him, but I really don't like that guy and don't like how he plays the game of football. It was disgusting what he did, completely unnecessary. Uh, you can tell he's frustrated because he couldn't do anything against me or jail in all games, so he had to come up with a different way to affect the game and ended up taking himself out. So, yeah, don't have much to say. So, Tom, I've gotten to know the Panashuk brothers. I think they're good kids. I don't want to pile on Jacob in this instance, but he's kind of gotten a reputation this season of doing things like this, of taking cheap shots, of maybe cutting down on blocks, uh, you know, you want a guy that kind of pushes the margins a bit, but the hit on Patterson was absolutely indefensible. And what John Runyon had to say, your response to that and your thoughts on Panashuk. Well, actually, with John Runyon Jr. and his fellow lineman at Michigan, this all went back to last year. I mean, there, there's a glaring video uh, clip of, of, of Jacob Panashuk um, bending over a player who is engaged. When I say engaged, he's locked in. I mean, his legs are are you know are, are locked in and in, 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 into a mosh pit. I mean, he could have been really drastically injured, significantly injured, and he it was a dirty, dirty play. Michigan remembered that play. Um, they've been remembered it ever since. And so, number ninety six, uh, based on watching them on film, as well as we've watched him on film, um, th this is uh, this is really unusual. Um, I, I didn't think Michigan State. I know the Michigan Michigan State game is is chippy, but I. I never realized in the past, I mean, there have been examples here and there um, with certain MSU players, um, but generally speaking, they're, they're, they're a disciplined team. We'll just say that. They might be physical, 
Um, but uh, this one took it to another level. And I, and I think Ben Mason absolutely rolled Jacob Panischuk on, on Michigan's first touchdown uh, that tied it 7-7. Seven to seven. He just trucked him. <laughs> and he was down a little bit, if I remember correctly. And I, you know, as John Running Jr. said, this was probably a frustration thing uh, that was building up all day long. And not only that, Tom, when you look at Michigan, Michigan State over the years, I think Chippy's a good way to describe it. But what I haven't seen often is it being dirty. You see some rivalry games that are that way, that are just dirty. I mean, I can think of some in the SEC that come to mind. But even Michigan-Ohio State, I wouldn't categorize that as dirty. It's very spirited. It's hard fought. And Michigan-Michigan State, same thing. It's like a backyard brawl between brothers. And you don't want to hurt the other team. You just want to hurt their pride. Yeah, you know, it's funny with the, the, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, the venom, I mean, the fans hate each other. I mean, that's just – but the players, they hit hard. and But they respect that rivalry, even though it's one-sided lately. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a clean game. And you can talk to – from Archie Griffin. Well, I've talked to countless – you know, when Jack and I were doing the radio show, I mean, we talked to a lot of Ohio State players. We talked to Michigan players about that rivalry. And Michigan players comparing – the Michigan Michigan State rivalry with the Michigan Ohio State rivalry, and it was all it was totally consistent that the you don't want to hang around the pile in the Michigan State game because it's just it's a there's a lot of crap going on, and that was obviously demonstrated on Saturday. And of course, Ohio State coming up the weekend after next, and this has been a trap game on the calendar all season long. It's the one where Tom predicted Michigan would go eleven and one, and this would be the game they would lose, not the game at Wisconsin, not the game at Penn State that they've already lost, and we'll see what happens in Ann Arbor against Ohio State. But the Hoosiers putting together a very nice season at 7-3, and three, as I mentioned, 4-3 and three in conference play. They do have a road loss to Michigan State that really stands out maybe as their worst loss in conference to this point. They're a capable club. They did lose Michael Penix Jr. at quarterback. I'm a big fan of his to injury. But Peyton Ramsey steps in. This is a guy that started before, so it's not like there's a big drop-off in experience. There might be a little bit in talent and mobility, but Ramsey actually has a higher completion percentage this year, 72.7%. He's averaging over eight yards per pass. He's got 10 TDs against three INTs, and there are weapons on this Indiana team. We saw them. Those of you that watched Indiana against Michigan State, they've got a triumvirate of receivers plus one that is extremely uh, dangerous. Wap Fillier being cheap chief among those. He's going to be rivaling for first-team All-Big Ten honors with 61 catches, 863 yards. He might get over 1,000 this year, averaging better than 14 yards per catch. You got Tri Freifogel. It's a funny name, but he comes in. He's kind of this uh, speed receiver. He can get open. He's a junior. Comes in off the bench, really, because they've got two other very good receivers to accompany him and Nick Westbrook and Donovan Hale. These are names that jump off the page at you along with their tight end, Peyton Hendershot. It's a pretty good offensive line. I don't know that Indiana's defense is quite as stalwart or strong to stay with Michigan over the full 60 minutes in this one, Tom. But when you look at Indiana, this is not going to be some pushover team when Michigan has to defend them. No, absolutely not. And and um, I, I, the, the biggest concern from a Michigan perspective is when Indiana has the ball, not when Michigan has the ball. I mean, Michigan's offense is clicking right now. And if, uh, Indiana's defense uh, has some vulnerability to it, as you just indicated. I think they'll be okay when they have them, and it's supposed to be cool and dry, uh, kind of probably like last Saturday. So 
I don't think weather's going to be a factor, and I don't think that um, – I, I think Michigan will still be efficient. But, yeah, I mean, Michigan will be tested. There's no question about it. But the, the weird part about this game is, is that I – and I probably play this historic card, but I just have a feeling – um, Michigan is going to be ready to play this game, much like they were before they played Ohio State in 1997. They went to State College and they absolutely hammered Penn State, um, just put a pummel on them right off the chute. Uh, they were there to play in a much more hostile environment than Bloomington is. There'll be a lot of Michigan fans in Bloomington, I can tell you that right now. Um, and I, I just think Michigan is going to – this is just a, a, a hunch – that, that, you know, common sense will tell you, oh, it's going to be another overtime thing. I think Michigan's going to win this game by three touchdowns. I truly wow. do. And I think they're going to take a double-digit advantage by halftime. All right. Well, let's get right to our predictions then, Tom, because I, I tend to disagree. I've been at Indiana, both calling games for Central Michigan on the gridiron and also in attendance for Michigan State a couple of years ago. It can be a very sterile environment. I almost think that works against Michigan. Sure, there'll be fans that make the trip. Sure, they'll be able to get affordable tickets, and they'll be there in their maize and blue to support the Wolverines. But it doesn't have that same big game feel that Michigan usually rises to the occasion for, whether that's against Notre Dame or Michigan State or Ohio State or whoever you put in front of them. That big atmosphere can really pump up a team. And if you're coming out and you're just kind of basically going through, it feels more like a scrimmage. Now, maybe Indiana fans will turn out because their team is a little bit better this year. But that does concern me a little bit in the opposite direction if I'm Michigan heading down to Indiana. So let's get right to the predictions, Tom, since you're chomping at the bit there. And as I mentioned, Michigan uh, started off as seven-point favorites in this game. They're now up to nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me your final score and why. Well, I'm going 31-10, uh, Michigan, Ryan. I, I think it's going to be close first half, 17-10 or 17-7, maybe 17-7 halftime score. Michigan uh, leads, and then they uh, add two touchdowns second half. I, You know, I, I think – I mean, you were talking about sterile environment working against Michigan. I actually think I'd rather have them play there than play it in State College where communication is such a, a stressful thing. And and I, I think the Indiana crowd will be into it. I think there'll be enough atmosphere, and uh, because this is a this Tom Allen team is a little bit different at this stage of the game than they've ever been before. But I think Michigan's offense is going to take command. It's going to be somewhat unstoppable, and uh, they're going to have an easy, you know, basic uh, three touchdown win. I am far more surprised by your pick for Indiana score than I am Michigan's because I have the Wolverines at exactly the same number you do, thirty-one. However. I believe that Indiana is going to be able to score in this game. I think their offense is going to be able to move the ball, and they've got a pretty balanced attack with Stevie Scott at running back. He's not great, but it's solid, 4.8 yards per carry, and he's definitely a feature back in this offense. He can also catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. He's got 25 grabs on the season. We mentioned the receiving core and the tight end hender shot. It's going to be a little bit harder, I think, for Michigan than advertised, and I think the score – will be closer on the scoreboard than it actually feels in the game because the Hoosiers aren't going to quit. They'll come back late, make it close. I do think they'll cover the nine and a half. And I've got Michigan winning this game 31-27, Tom. I believe that the oh Hoosiers God. are going to put uh, some points on the board. I just don't see the overwhelming confidence, though Michigan's defense has played very well lately, you know, against an offense like Indiana. I don't know. They, they shut down Notre Dame. So Ian Book was, you know, pretty highly heralded coming into that contest and the Wolverines held that team to 14. They've held their opponents to 14 or less in their last three games. 
I could see it maybe going the way you're saying. I just, I don't know. I, maybe I've caught a little bit of the Indiana fever. I think they're better than people think. Yeah, well, so this is back-to-back that you're going against the spread with Michigan because you picked Michigan State to cover last week, right? Like an idiot, that was, yes. That was that dumb. Was a, that was a swing and a miss, and I picked Michigan to win by 17. So I, I maybe I'm just too bullish on Michigan, but I, I just think I, I, I think there's a – Basically, talking to the players after the game last week, I think there's a pretty fundamental focus that they they want to make up for what uh, midseason some major major disappointments that they're still kicking themselves about because they could be vying for a CFP and that Wisconsin game is far far now in the rearview mirror and I think they found something halftime of that Penn State game. Uh, Jim Harbaugh said we're now ready to have our finest hour. I think maybe he saw something. And I think Shea Patterson's going to be unstoppable. This Michigan offense, the RPO, is going to be unstoppable. Because um, I think they're going to pose more damage on that Indiana defense than Penn State did last week, that's for sure. I don't have any doubts about Michigan's <laughs> offense, but I don't have any doubts about Indiana's either. So I think it'll be a high-scoring okay. game. The over-under right now is 52.5. I've got the total at 58. So there's your bonus pick for the week. I've got Michigan winning 31-27. Tom has them victorious 31-10. Quickly, before we wind up the first half of our podcast here, mention the other games. We'll get to Michigan State Rutgers in a moment. But, Tom, real quickly, your thoughts on Penn State at Ohio State, the Buckeyes' home favorites by 18 points. They throttled Wisconsin, another good team in the Big Ten. Are they going to do the same to Penn State? Yeah, maybe not to the extent that they did Wisconsin, but I – I'm, I think they're going to cover, I, you know, mm-hmm. and I, this is going to be probably like a 30, 34, 10, 34, 13 yeah. game. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's going to be one of those games. I don't think it's going to be a fourth quarter game. And I define a fourth quarter game as 10 points or less going into the fourth quarter. And it's not going to be anywhere near that. Yeah. I believe that Ohio state will win by at least three touchdowns, 21, 24, somewhere in that atmosphere. And that's a noon start on Fox. Minnesota at Northwestern, also a noon start, ABC. Gophers favored by 13 and a half. I don't think they'll have any problems, and I don't think Tom believes they will either. Illinois at Iowa, somewhat intriguing. Noon start, Big Ten Network. Iowa, a home favorite by 16. I think this will be close, but I do believe Iowa will win. Tom, what say you? Yeah, I do too. I mean, Iowa, I picked Iowa to beat Minnesota. I mean, it wasn't like going over overboard. They were favored in that game, but Iowa at Kinnick is pretty good. Iowa's a pretty good team. And the way they play Wisconsin and Madison, that's going to be the difference makers. But Illinois will end up, you know, winning their last game. So they'll be in good shape. They will be. They're already bowl eligible and they're going to finish with seven wins, assuming they held on at home and beat Northwestern, who's been everybody's punching bag this season. Nebraska and Maryland, the Huskers only five point favorites in a 330 start on Big Ten Network. Can the Terrapins pull the upset here, Tom? Yeah, they can. Boy, is that the Big Ten crummy game of the week or what? No. Or that that with Michigan State Rutgers. Right. (laughs) It's like they're tied for that. (laughs) Yeah, I see Maryland. Maryland's Maryland's got on an uptick at it attitude wise. And I I actually think that they're going to compete against Michigan State up here Thanksgiving weekend, too. So I, I do got too. The turtles in there. I think they might finish strong here. They're a team that's still kind of trying to find themselves. Nebraska's been twisting in the wind. This could be an upset alert for the Terrapins at home against a Nebraska team that has struggled on the road. Four o'clock Eastern start. Fox will have the coverage. Purdue at number 12, Wisconsin. Badgers favored by 25, and I don't anticipate they'll have any problems there either. Reminder, Michigan, Indiana, that's a 330 kickoff. ESPN, Wolverines currently favored by just under 10 
at nine and a half. You're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast. It's brought to you each and every week by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Take a journey back through time and go back and get your Christmas presents that you never got in the first place. Reward yourself. Shop for your family members, your friends, your significant other. Get something new on vinyl or something that is new on vinyl that might be reprised a reissue, several of those coming out, and Heather will have the very latest on Black Friday. Specials galore. We'll get you featured details on that when they become available. But don't forget, they're on South Washington, south from 496 and downtown Lansing on the east side of the street in the Rio Town Marketplace, now front and center, right in the window, Walk right in. Heather Frari and her staff are ready to serve you. They can turn around special orders in 24 to 48 hours, and they've got lots of hi-fi stereo equipment as well. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Turning now to Michigan State football, and let's face it, these two teams stink. The Spartans, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, perhaps the only team in the conference right now playing worse than Michigan State is Rutgers and maybe Northwestern. Michigan State, of course, is in a tailspin right now, and you look at what they've done since starting the season, and really the foreboding loss was the one to Arizona State, but they were still 4-1. and one. After five games, they had riddled Northwestern, probably their best overall performance on the season on the road there against the Wildcats, and they won at home, holding off Indiana 40-31. to It has been a five-game losing streak, their longest under Mark D'Antonio outside of that brutal 3-9 and nine season in 2016. They lose at Ohio State 34-10. to 10. They lose at Wisconsin 38 to nothing. They lose at home to Penn State 28-7. They blow a 28-3 lead against Illinois at Spartan Stadium. They fall to the Illini 37-34. And, of course, they get waxed by Michigan 44-10. It's not just that they're losing these games. It's how they're losing these games. They have not scored more than 10 points against the four best teams in this conference, arguably. That's Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. They've scored respectively 10-0, and 10 points. While surrendering this defense that was supposed to be so heralded coming in as one of the best in the nation, at least 28 points in all of those games. 34, 38, 28, 44 to Michigan. And a listless performance a week ago. In one where there, it took a lot of work from Tom and myself to point out any positives that happened for Michigan State. Antoine Simmons was one, and Cody White outside of the dumb, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty would have been another. But that was about it. Brian Lewerke threw two interceptions. He continues to struggle, throwing the short ball even, uh, off target. I don't know what is his issue with accuracy. This is not the same Brian Lewerke we saw in 2017. I don't know who that was. I don't know if it was a mirage I don't know if it was just a, one of these things where everything came together that year for him, but it certainly looks like the outlier to his career at Michigan State. It's unfortunate. But the story this week is not necessarily the game itself. It's the comments that everybody was looking forward to from head coach Mark D'Antonio during his weekly press conference. The first one came from our good buddy Hondo, Hondo Carpenter, Spartan Nation, who asked him about other teams, other programs, other schools, other coaches going out on the recruiting trail and using Michigan State struggles against the Spartans in living rooms vis-a-vis negative recruiting and what his response was to that, what he tells a young recruit when he's in that living room, making eye contact, talking to the parents. Here's what Coach D'Antonio had to say. I talk about living in the present. I talk about my relationship with them as a recruiter right now. I talk about uh, you know the, the, the future in terms of what's going on for them, the, the aspects of 
uh, whether it's facility upgrades that, that will be coming here in the next years or two years or three years um, as we move forward in that area. Um, and I talk about the future. But I also um, talk to them very sincerely as well. You know, that I don't want to ever be the point of the discussion. I've never tried to be that. Um, when I got asked these questions in the summer, I talked about living in the present, and that's what I try and do. Uh, I firmly try and believe that just like today, you know, I'm watching a recruit for, you know, just like last night, we got a national recruit on campus. Um, he's over practice. He's at the basketball game. Um, we've got, um, I'm watching film this morning, watching Rutgers this morning. I'm dealing with other, all kinds of things that, that, uh, that give consideration to the future of this program. So we've got 19 committed players right now. I've talked to every one of those players, and I talked to them about it. But of course, everybody's going to use anything they can get. I think the fact that uh, that we've had stability here is um, has been a, something that people look for. Uh, so I'm going to try and continue to to um, to offer them that stability. My obligation is to my players. Uh, the obligation is to um, the university. Spartan Nation as a whole. And so uh, that's my plans as I go forward. That's what I say. So as I bring Tom Crawford back into the conversation, Tom, we'll start right there because it's not just what's happening on the field or what's been happening off with departures through the transfer portal, suspension to Joe Bocci, the off-the-field legal incidents in recent years at Michigan State, but the losing has kind of snowballed on itself. And no doubt all of that mosaic that I just painted is being used against Mark D'Antonio as schools from, let's say, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, everybody that's in Michigan State's own backyard in the upper Midwest is going to use against them. And this kind of has a reciprocal effect. It's like, uh, again, a chicken and the egg theory. You're bad, so you recruit and it doesn't go so well, but you can't recruit because you're not winning. And you can't win if you don't recruit. What do you think the effect is right now on Michigan State in recruiting? Because we've seen them kind of recede in that category over these last three years in classes. Well, yeah, it's, it's obviously had impact. Uh, but, you know, as far as this press conference, and I know you're going to incorporate a few more quotes in here. Um, I, I think it was good uh, that Mark D'Antoni declared that, that you know, his, his intention is to coach next year. I mean, and I think that's going to reflect on these last two games. I think Michigan State's going to play better. That not, I'm not saying all 85 scholarship kids are all bullish on uh, or not bitter towards Mark D'Antonio for not trying to, you know, fix the system a little bit, and maybe get some more ingenuity on that offense. But I think there's going to be more buy-in now uh, that he's actually voiced it, that he plans on being back. It was uh, I, I thought he handled the press conference very well. I thought the questions were very, very good. I, hats off to the Michigan State media. They brought it. And also hats off to Mark D'Antonio and his responses. I think there were good ones. And so I I think that, relatively speaking, things might get a little bit better in that, even though they got to get, they got to get, you know, some some demonstrative changes on that coaching staff, more creativity in that offense. And he's got to commit to allowing that creativity to, to happen without intervening, much like Jim Harbaugh did with Josh Geddes. Very good point. And and I think it's kind of handwriting on the wall, but I would have thought that a year ago at this time. So anybody that's saying, well, yeah, you know, Mark D'Antonio could see the forest for the trees. He recognizes their shortcomings on his staff. He'll make the changes necessary. He didn't do that a year ago. And it wasn't like he was giving a staff that had been recently successful a mulligan. They were bad and they've been bad. 
for three of the last four they have years. One year contract. So I mean, I think what he did is he gave them one more year. But now, you know, you know, shit's gonna hit the fan. <laughs> Let's be real. I mean, he's not gonna, he's not gonna. I mean, he's look, he's dosed out a lot of loyalty, and there's still some really good coaches on that staff. But they've been well paid, and I, you know, I'm not gonna cry me a river for that coaching staff. I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they made a good living, and uh, and I feel bad for them because coaches don't do it for the money, believe it or not. Um, it's it's a passion, um, and there's still some really good coaches on there. But I, I, I will be shocked. I mean, doubly, triply shocked if there's if he stays. I mean, he's going to get a new OC, and he might even get a new DC. Oh, interesting. First oh. time I've heard that about Tressel, but the, let's call it what it is. This Michigan State defense has not been as good as advertised. You can blame I some of that on losing Joe Bocci, and that's big, but that's right. part of the whole problem right now. And the secondary has really degraded uh, basically since Harlan Barnett left and, and absolutely since 2015 and going back to the no-fly zone, you can say even that maybe it was slowly eroding away from that no-fly zone, Darquez Denard, et cetera, in 2013. And in 2015, they were excellent and uh, peaked out with a playoff ex- uh, experience, but maybe not as dominant in the secondary as they once were. There's a high bar, of course, but since that time, it's gone steadily downhill. His status for 2020, Chris Solari, Detroit Free Press, point blank, asked him, will he be the head coach for game one against Northwestern? That's right. They play a conference game to start the season next year. Will he be the head coach on the field to start 2020? Here's what Coach D'Antonio had to say. A point of clarity off what Hondo asked. Do you have? Do you plan to be the coach here against Northwestern uh, yes. to start next season? Yes. And is there anything that you could see between now and then that would change that? Well, I can't predict the future. If I would, we'd be, I guess we'd be 10 and 0 right now. Okay, but uh, I can't predict the future, but my intentions are, are, to, are to be the head football coach here. And uh, I've always said I live in the present, though. I've always said that. And so, you know, I, I can't, I can't, there's certain things that you have control of, and there's certain things you don't have control of. So I can't control everything, but my intentions are there. Yeah, absolutely. My father always talked to me to complete circles, complete the circles. So that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know if I would call that a lukewarm response, Tom, but basically it was minimal in that he wasn't defiant about it. He was, I can only control what I can control. If it's up to me, yes, I fully intend to do that. But how much of that maybe was him just doing that for appearances? Because he's not going to say, even if the case were, hey, I'm leaving at the end, I'm retiring. He's not going to say that because of recruiting. He's not going to tip his hand and show that card to Chris Solari and the rest of the press corps and the fans who are watching at home. So the conviction of his answer, when you watch him give it, when you heard it again right there, how much are you buying that Mark D'Antonio, one, is coming back next year, and, and two, wants to come back, has that fire and oh, passion? Oh, I think I, I 100% think. I, I think he was with conviction. I mean, he's a pretty straight-up guy. I, I think that, to be honest with you, I think he – he, he would be devastated not to be able to come back. But I think what he did, he threw that disclaimer out that I can't be, you know, I, I, there's some things I can't control. And that's why he lives, you know, for the moment and everything. Um, and, and that has to do with maybe the president of the university and, and um, does something or, or that board of trustees uh, finally gets some kind of, I mean, that, that's just total disarray right now. I mean, yeah, there's no leadership on that thing. And then we've talked about Bill Bigman just flat out. He's not going to fire Mark D'Antonio. It's just that's not going to happen either. But I think 
I think that he wants to come back. I, I truly believe that. But, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I have a little – I mean, I think it's good. I mean, I understand his willingness to come back and wanting to come back and his competitive nature and the full circle thing, although I think the full circle has gone full circle. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just one of those guys that when you've been there 13 years, I, I'm one of those who has this has been thrown out that maybe it's a little selfish to stay on. Give some younger guy a shot. You know what I mean? I mean, I often said this about Joe Paterno way before the Jerry Sandusky thing came out that I thought it was a little selfish that he kept hanging in there. Give somebody else a shot. And that's just my feeling about it. So it's not, you know, there's that element to it as well. So, you know, he's not a perfect person, Mark D'Antonio. I'll tell you that right now. No, he's not. Nobody oh, is. No. We all fall short of the glory of God, and he'd be the first one to say that as a strong Catholic yeah. man himself. Uh, his answer, however, on his assistant coaches was different, I would say, than what he stated about himself. And this one came from Matt Charbonneau, Detroit News, asking him about their status, what has been determined, what the forecast is going forward. And on this day, Mark D'Antonio had this to say. You said your intention is to be back next year as the coach of this team. Is it also your intention to do so with the so the staff has it. I don't make decisions on that. I don't, I don't make decisions on that until I, I weigh out everything to the best that I can because probably I have the most knowledge in terms of what's going on within our football team as to who did what in terms of was that player, structure, coaching, officiating, all the underlying things that go along with that. You know, I, I think that I've tried to figure out, okay, what worked, what didn't work, how to critique it, what was in control, what was out of our control, how do I um, evaluate that? So I've always made those decisions after the fact. And um, that's what I'll continue to do to the best of my ability. In another case, Tom, where, again, he's not going to tip his hand. He's not going to say, well, Sharps, you know, since you asked, they're all gone. I'm firing them today, or at the end of the season, they can pack up their bags and their things, and it's up to them. But basically, bottom line, I want to – let notice serve that they're done. He's not going to do that, even if he's got his mind made up for the most part. He should. He should. This offense is 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 horrible and needs to be revamped in a major way, a major facelift on offense to modernize their attack, to adjust and adapt to whatever talent they have left. I still think it's predicated, no matter what they run, on what has been a very substandard, below-average offensive line, period, end of sentence. They don't have a lot of depth either at running back or receiver. There's been attrition there, of course, through the transfer portal. And, you know, Hunter Rison going, Cam Chambers, uh, Hayward, Jefferson, all gone, all gone, need to replenish the system, need to do it right away. Might need some true freshmen next year to play if they can land on some hot recruits that are able to contribute right away. You mentioned the one-year contracts for the assistants. You even put out there, Tom, that Tressel might be on the hot seat here a little bit. I don't know that he is as much as, say, Salem, Warner, Bowman, State, and go on all down the line for the entire offensive coaching staff for Michigan State. If it's me, and I'm not heartless, and I'm a very much a team player, company guy, you know, dance with the date that brought you, these are the guys I've won with. They've been in the bunker. They've been in the trenches with me. We've gone through the wars together. We've we've experienced success. We've been to the mountaintop. But that's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Those memories have faded now into the distance. 2015 feels like a lifetime ago. It's time to change. Just building on the conversation from there, Tom, and what you said earlier, 
Are you convinced as of right now that there will be massive changes to the Michigan State coaching staff, whether or not Mark D'Antonio comes back? Well, no, I, I, mean, I think there'll be changes at the OC and DC. And the reason I say the DC uh, is because Harlan Barnett comes to mind. Maybe he might want to have him back. You see, you know, one thing that Mark D'Antonio is different than Jim Harbaugh is that Mark D'Antonio hires, he doesn't hire a coach that he doesn't know and know very, very well. That's just how he's wired. Jim Harbaugh Googled uh, who the best defensive coordinator was when Don Brown was at Boston College, had a terrible team, and statistically was the second best defense in the country. He never knew Don Brown. He never knew Josh Gaddis. He just gets the best guy that he possibly can get. And, and then forged friendships or coaching, you know, uh, camaraderie at that time. He doesn't worry about, oh, I got to know this guy. And that's a difference. And I don't think, I don't think that Mark D'Antonio is going to do that. I think he's going to hire people he knows. And that one being, uh, you know, Harlan Barnett now available after what happened at Florida State. So um, I, I think there'll be changes. I, but one, the 800-pound grill in the room, Ryan, is that deposition, that, that mm-hmm. court thing with Curtis Blackwell, um, that, you know, it's seven hours of deposition, uh, deposition you know, uh, questioning uh, with no boundaries. But I, I, I still think that Michigan State will not want to put D'Antonio through that because I'm afraid – I mean, I think they're afraid of what might be exposed – and I think there's a settlement that's going to loom between now and January, and that thing will not go to court. That's just a hunch on my part. Interesting. And I love your take on Harbaugh there, Tom. It's spot on with, with him. And this is one of the reasons I appreciate and respect and admire the way that Jim Harbaugh is wired. Maybe it makes me weird, but I get Jim Harbaugh. I get the essence of who he is and why he does what he does. It can rub people the wrong way. It can come off as standoffish. He's not warm and fuzzy. He's very analytical. He's very black or white. He's very binary code, yes or no. And in his analysis of who he wants on his staff, you just nailed it. Don Brown, Josh Gaddis, are these buddies? Do they go in the back and smoke cigars together over scotch? Is that how they got the job? No. It was based on the favorite word of mine from Jim Harbaugh, and I use it in my own life, meritocracy. What do you earn? What do you deserve? based on how hard you work and what product you produce. And that's what Gaddis and Brown have done, and it's earned them spots on Harbaugh's staff. No questions asked and no good old boy network crap. Now, I know that D'Antonio is very much loyal to a fault. He's got good buddies like Pat Narduzzi and Harlan Barnett and Mike Tressel and Godforsaken Dave Warner. And Jim Bowman, what the crap is he still doing on the staff? I don't know. But again, he's too loyal. And you don't want to just cut bait and throw your friends under the bus, but they've had their chance. They've had their day to dance. They've had their day in the sun. It's time to move on. It doesn't mean you don't like them personally or won't send them a Christmas card or won't have them over for a family dinner on occasion, but they don't need to be coaches on your football team. This is a business. It just is, and you might not like it, but it is. It's a multi-million dollar business, and I can't agree more, Tom. I don't know how D'Antonio is going to execute this search, but it should be far and wide. It should be nationwide. It should be exactly what you just said. Who are the brightest and best, and give me their names, and let me scour their resume, 
and their tape and their philosophy and what fits with mine. But where am I willing to bend? Because my offense in this pro set ain't working like it used to. Maybe I got to modernize a little bit with a more mobile attack on offense, some spread formations, some RPOs that are a little bit more crisply executed with players who can execute them and recruit to that. There's so much fundamental change that needs to happen in this Spartan football program, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, Tom, that I don't think fans understand at Michigan State what an undertaking this is, where they've been left in the dust in recruiting these last two, three years, where they've had an erosion of talent, both graduating, matriculating from the program, leaving through the transfer portal, dropping out, getting kicked out, getting kicked off the team like Joe Bocci. This is not a short road to recovery, and I think you'd agree with me on that. Yeah, and see what's happened, you know, maybe maybe eight to ten years ago, you know, you know, as we always heard defense wins championship chip, you know, wins championships. But but college football is now an offensive game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing it all over. I mean, it's you you gotta score points. I mean, yeah, I'm, Ohio State's a complete team. I get that. But the thing that stands out about Ohio State is their offense and all the talent they have on that offense. And the creativity with the RPO and these coaches. I mean, and and you got to pay coordinators. And Michigan State has got to look at itself. I mean, are you ready to commit um, to paying your assistants the, the amounts of money it's going to take? I mean, you know, OCs and DCs, the good ones. I mean, they're going to go for 1.2, 1.5 a piece. That's just the way it is. This is not the old days where you're paying them 400,000. So I mean, Michigan State's got to decide their level of commitment. Um, to, to its football program. And, and that's a tough question for them to ask themselves because I don't think they have the answer right now as, as we stand today. They don't have the leadership to provide that answer. That is absolutely accurate. There's no de- 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 disputing that whatsoever. And there's no disputing the fact that, again, Mark D'Antonio, for better or worse, loyal guy. He's like Robert De Niro in Meet the Parents. He believes in the circle of trust. It takes a lot to get inside that circle. And it takes a lot to find your way out of that circle. Once you're in, you don't get out. It's kind of like the mafia a little bit, a little Tony Soprano in it too, maybe. Very similar. But speaking of circles, he always talks about this completing the circle. And he was asked this by Nick Baumgartner, who is, I will give him massive amounts of credit. I'm a big fan of Nick and he's been on my show back in the past on the Schuling Report. He's great. He's, he's fair. He's level. He's a Michigan state grad who covers Michigan, who knows both programs and isn't going to mince words. And he asked him directly about what, completing the circle means to Mark D'Antonio personally. And this answer might have been his best of all in the press conference. You mentioned earlier completing the circle was something you're, you're focused on. What I'm, I'm curious, what does that uh, look like to you? What does that mean when you say that? It means when you start something, you want to finish it. That's what it's meant to me and my family. So that's sort of the direction that we've always tried to go. Um, so... It means it's not quitting in the middle of something when you don't think something's finished. So I don't think I'm finished. Um, and that's the, it's very, this coaching is very difficult because you're on a merry-go-round that's going about 150 miles an hour, if you could imagine it. So you just try and centrifugal force keeps you in the center of that. Okay, that'd be a good quote for you. Yeah, highly intelligent word. Okay, but uh, I think it keeps you right in the center of that. So, you know, you're constantly going to the next thing. You just start constantly going to the next thing. It's recruiting and it's critiquing and it's spring ball, it's summer, it's this, it's that, it's, it's fall camp, it's the season, and you just keep going. 
Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be on that. Been blessed to be on that. So that's what I do. That's what I've done. I'm the head football coach at Michigan State um, until whatever. And that's that's sort of because I'm in, I'm only in control of some things. I'm not in control of everything. So I do I do my best. But I feel for, pretty certain that I've you know I uh, you know there's all always little reminders of the past are hanging around us. So when I got went home last night after working 15 hours. I was scratching my head and saying, why am I working 15 hours uh, again or 85 hours a week? I went home and, you know, you put on something, you know, I don't go to sleep in this, contrary to what people believe. I, I don't. Okay, so I, I got something off the shelf and I put it on. I looked at it. I said, oh, there's a Rose Bowl insignia on this thing. Okay, and it sort of sent the message home to me that, hey, there's been a lot of success here. A tremendous amount of success here, and you know that can happen again, and that can happen under my watch, and so that's what I felt. Now I got in bed and snuggled up and got up at five fifteen. And here's my problem with completing the circle, Tom: is I believe he's done it, and not in the way that he intended. When he took this program over from John L. Smith, and it was bottom of the barrel in 2007. Remember, you, know, you and I both watched uh, "Divided We Stand," that great special. I want to talk about that in a moment too on FS1. But they lost to Michigan. It was close. Little brother started. It, it's not over. It'll never be over. And in seven and six, they got to a bowl game, right? They lose their first four bowl games under Mark D'Antonio, but you can watch the arc of growth throughout. They had a little bit of a hiccup in 2009. They had to win, I remember, against uh, Minnesota in 2012 just to get to a bowl game, which they would win. But interspersed there, that, that sweet pocket and hot zone for Mark D'Antonio from 2010 to 2015, during which he won three conference titles, won a division title, went to the Cotton Bowl twice, went to the Rose Bowl and won it. If there had been a playoff in 2013, they would have been in it, and they might have won it. That's the that's the no-fly zone defense. That was arguably Michigan State's best team during this time, and guess what? If you make Mark D'Antonio's career right now, over 13 seasons into a circle, the opposite side of the circle from where he is standing right now is exactly 2013 and the 13-1 record and the undefeated run in the Big Ten to 8-0. and And around that, get this, there were four, count them, four 7-1 conference finishes in those years between 2010 and 2015. He finished 7-1 or better in the Big Ten Five out of six of those seasons in the last four, he has been uh, more than six wins in conference only once, and that was 2017. He's below 500 in the conference over these four years. He's right hovering around 500 overall. He's in danger of missing a bowl game for the second time in four years, and only the second time during his entire tenure because he made a bowl in his first season going forward from 2007 all the way through 2015. And then 2016 happened, and it it really hasn't been the same since. I thought 2017 was a turnaround. It was not. So if you're completing the circle, 2019 looks a hell of a lot like 2007, and maybe even to a degree 2006 before that, where John L. Smith left the program. Now, Tom, to bring back in your perspective on this, you know, 
Mark D'Antonio doesn't want to leave this program worse than when he found it. Kind of like the old Boy Scout model when you go camping. You want to leave the campsite better than when you found it. He'd like to leave this program better than when he found it. But he would have had to have walked away after 2015 and rode off into the sunset in order to do that. And there's so much to undertake in the revamping of this roster and coaching staff. And you look at the schedule. I mean, completing the circle, is he just talking in circles at this point? Yeah, I I, I was confused by that. I mean, it's like maybe you just better start a new circle. I mean, it's like, right. I mean, it, that, I mean, that's right. He, you're, he's done it and there's, he's got to start over. I mean, cause right now, I mean, to be honest with you that, I mean, that 06 team was probably, I mean, that 07 team that he was a pretty good team, his first team, it wasn't too bad. I mean, they were, they were leading Michigan, you know, by mm-hmm. double digits mm-hmm. into the fourth quarter of that game in East Lansing. That wasn't a bad team. Um, and that, and they had Javon Ringer on that team, and they, they had some good players. Um, I I don't know what he meant. I, I think he would. I, I, the only thing I liked about it in terms of his analysis was uh, when he talked about the uh, coming home and uh, pulling a sweater before he went to bed, and he he went and uh, pulled out a Rose Bowl sweater um, by accident, and 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 looked at what he has accomplished. And I think that's an example of what a lot of people do. There's a lot of people who get down on themselves. A lot of high achieving people that do that. They get down on themselves and they don't and they don't realize that they're doing way better than they actually are. Um, just because of the way society is, it's very it's a very what look at the other guy, he's doing better than me, society. And I did like that analogy, but the circle thing, I he lost me in the circle. <laughs> Had me then you lost me. One of my favorite sayings yeah. there from Phil Hartman is Frank Sinatra in a Saturday Night Live sketch called the Sinatra Group. You had me then you lost me. Sinbad O'Connor. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's just get to predictions for Rutgers because bottom line, who cares? Other than Michigan State has to win even to have a shot at a bowl the following week at home against Maryland. It's a noon start, Fox Sports 1, and the Spartans have gone down from a 23-point favorite to 20-and-a-half. Tom Crawford, final score, and give me the reasons why. Well, I think Michigan State's going to win this game, but I think Rutgers is going to play hard. Um even though they, they this probably not as good a Rutgers team as last year. I mean, I think they, they got a different attitude, believe it or not. I'm I'm going to go neighborhood of 28-20 Michigan State. They're going to win the game, but it's not going to be easy. Wow. If it's 28-20, I almost think that's as bad as a loss. This Rutgers team is so bad. They've given up they, they, 386 listen, Rutgers points. Rutgers on 21 on Ohio State when I say hung. I'm, you know, well, hung in cheek. but. <laughs> <laughs> Their offense is putrid, I, I guess, but they've only got 153 total points in 10 games this season. Even the simple math I do as a Central Michigan University grad tells me that's about 15 points a game. That's not great, and they're giving up almost 40 points. That's my that's my that's my feeling. You I know, mean, Michigan State will be shocked if they lose a game. Yeah, but and you know, when I say 28-20, there it could be like a 28-28 or 28-13. Maybe they score late, something like that. Uh, they go for two to make it 20 or, you know, 20 and 14. Uh, I think it's going to, but I think Michigan state's not going to win by double digits. I'll, I'll say that right now. Well, they can stop the run. They can still do that And Rutgers. I mean, they just don't have a lot of firepower on offense. Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, you could look at him and he's okay, but he only averages four in the third yards per carry. Uh, Johnny Langan's interesting. He's mobile, but his sack yardage affects his rushing total. He, he's got wheels. Can't throw it very well. He's only completing 52.2% of his passes. They don't really have a receiver to speak of. I don't think they hang points up. I don't think they're going to be able to throw the ball, and I do believe Michigan State will be able to control them at the line of scrimmage with the ground game. 
I don't think Michigan State's offense is going to do anything particularly special, even though Rutgers defense is like Swiss cheese. I think they'll win. I think they'll win comfortably, but I don't think they'll cover the spread. I'm with Tom on that to a degree. We both picked the same winning scores. Uh, Michigan for 31 points. Tom and I agree. Michigan State for 28 points. Tom and I agree, but I only have Rutgers with 10. 28 to 10. The final Tom has it 28-20. Wrapping up this edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast uh, on a bright note and an inspirational one. There's just no words to me that can express just what my feelings of fondness are for one Cassius Winston, and they grow by the day, by the year that he's been in the program, now a senior, and you've watched this young man mature into a leader on this team, a leader in the community. He has endured one of the worst things that a person could ever have to confront in their lives. That's losing a sibling at such a young age of 19 when his brother, Zach, uh, walked in front of a train in Albion, an Amtrak, just a little over a week or so ago. And Cassius played right through that, as difficult as that was. And, and think about the nerve, the audacity, the spine, the soul, the character it took for Cassius Winston to, to want to thank those who supported him, to take the microphone at Breslin after their win over Charleston Southern on Monday night. If you're a Spartan fan, or even if you're not, I don't know how you could have a soul and not watch this without tearing up like I did. Here's Cassius Winston addressing the Breslin faithful after the win on Monday night. Right here, I just want to say... Uh, Thank you all, you know, thank all the Spark Nation. Uh, it's been a, a really tough time for, for me and my, and my family. So uh, just all the support, all the love, uh, all the flowers. Uh, I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, uh, me and our family, you know what I'm saying? It's, there's no better, better place than this and how you guys just showed all how much you care, my teammates, my coaches. Everyone in this building, man, I really, I really appreciate it from, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I lost a piece of my heart, but you, but you guys are, you keep me going. So I love everything about this place, and I, and I really appreciate you guys. So thank you. Tom, again, just class, character, toughness, leadership, endurance, faith. I know he comes from a family of faith, having attended UD Jesuit High School, and his parents are just rock solid. This family has been rocked themselves by the loss of their son and brother, Zach. And just what your impressions were for Cassius to take that microphone in that moment and just what it took to do it. Well, it certainly didn't surprise me because he's, he's a remarkable young man. We've seen that in his whole career at Michigan State. Uh, he, he's, he's years... Uh, you know, beyond what you know, normal college kids uh, uh, have been in terms of maturity and, and composure. I, I thought what that did, Ryan, was represent closure in a, in, a, in a little bit. You know, I mean, you, you had the event, you had the, you know, the, uh, the tragic event, and then they played uh, what that next night, uh, that Sunday night game, mm -hmm. um, Binghamton game, got through that. But this was a moment where he actually kind of could, could get some closure in terms of, engagement with the fans less I appreciate it and and the fans probably needed some closure on it um and he did it in terms of just the whole relationship um and acknowledging the support of the fans I'm not sure I never really found out what they did with the arrangements uh, or funeral or anything like that um but I mean in that that's typically when you have closure 
but this was a form of closure, I thought. And boy, did he absolutely crush it. Uh, he was he was amazing. He certainly was. And Michigan State will next be in action on Monday afternoon. It'll be a 5 p.m. Eastern time start on ESPN2 as part of the Maui Invitational against Virginia Tech and Michigan State anticipating to have a, a full deck there with Kyle Ahrens, I think, finally playing himself back into full shape and condition. Langford remains out. Joey Hauser with a, a strange, I think it was an Instagram post about see you next year. I don't know if he meant on social media. I don't know if he meant January 1 that he'd be able to play. That's what a lot of the a scuttlebutt is out there. Or if he meant he's just going to be back next season and he's going to be denied his waiver claim. We'll see. Michigan State had no problem with the Buccaneers of Charleston Southern. 94-46 the final there. Much better game from Xavier Tillman as he had a double-double. But I think a lot of his performances to this point have been dictated by the competition. I look forward to the day when he dictates the matchup. I think he's capable of it. So we'll see how he continues to develop this season. He might need a little bit of help down low. And he's getting that from guys like Hall and Marble. They're getting more minutes. They're getting better with every minute. And I have high hopes for Michigan State as their post players continue to mature. And Thomas Kithier is another, just a junkyard dog, just a scrappy guy. And even if he's not scoring, he's in the right place. He's setting pick and roll. He's getting dirty rebounds. He has the face mask. He's, you know, he's doing all the little things defensively, positioning, such a smart, high IQ basketball player. Love Thomas Kithier, even if it doesn't show up in the scorebook. And I know Tom Izzo loves him for the same reasons. Michigan, on the other hand, our final note tonight, Tom, going up against Houston Baptist this Friday night. That's a 7 o'clock start. There is no TV for this, so we're going to be relying pretty heavily on you going down to Chrysler and covering this from Ann Arbor. <laughs> uh, you've been a little bit down on John Teske, maybe his uh, conditioning of late. I know I'm a big fan of his, but just where you think Michigan stands right now and ho- what you hope they gain from what should be a, a pretty easy win over Houston Baptist. Well, they, you know, we don't know because they haven't played anybody. I mean, I guess Creighton, you know, is a Big East team, and and uh, you know, the, Creighton's got one win, I guess, this year. I mean, we're just getting started here. And uh, Houston Baptist, I mean, come on, the Huskies lost uh, by thirty the other night to Texas Tech, which is a top twelve team. So, mind you, but I mean, you, you don't know. But um, I'm just some some things about Teske. He seems gassed all the time. I mean, I, I think that's a concern. He, he, he get his skin gets pink, and you know he's really tired. And uh, <laughs> um, I, I think it's a slow growing in the development uh, or the transition, rather, uh, from the beeline system uh, to you know to Juwan Howard, and it's going to take time. I think we're going to find out finally what they're all about when they go to Battle of Atlantis in Bahamas and they play uh, Iowa State, at least you know a former a, a better opponent. And then uh, potentially North Carolina, maybe even Oregon. If uh, and they're going to play Oregon in Chrysler uh, in December, and Oregon's a top twelve, top fourteen team as well. So their schedule is going to ramp up here. There's no question about it. Including going to Louisville in December for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And Louisville, I think, is second in the nation right now. Mm-hmm. So we'll find out real soon. But I, it's just an incomplete. I have no idea. They look. Okay at times, but they have these scoring droughts where they don't look very good. Well, I think up front they're going to be perfectly fine against Houston Baptist. I look for Teske, Livers, Brandon Johns, these guys to have their day inside and have their way with Houston Baptist. Now, a couple of pretty solid backcourt players. So Xavier Simpson might be in for a bit of a challenge. Eli Brooks as well, and David Julius with Jalen Gates. He's a legitimate six-foot quick player 
Uh, very good score, over 20 points per game for Houston Baptist. And Ian DeBose, who is a solid 6'4", a good rebounding guard, and he scores a little over 16 points per game. That's pretty much it. They're a two-man team. They're both in the backcourt and you know could uh, hold their own for a while with Michigan as well in that department. But again, up front, the Wolverines should kill Houston Baptist, and that'll be, a, again, a 7 o'clock start Friday night. No television that I'm aware of against Houston Baptist for the Wolverines before they head to the Bahamas. So the Michigan State Spartans get to go to Maui. Michigan goes to the Bahamas. Tom, are you going to the Bahamas for that? Uh, no, it's not quite in the uh, <laughs> in, in the budget. On the you can't talk spot. Tina into that. Take her with you. <laughs> no, I was. No, hey, but Thanksgiving is my favorite favorite holiday, and that's it's football and turkey and uh, getting ready for uh, heading down to Ann Arbor on Saturday morning for Michigan Ohio State at the, and the back end of the weekend. Well, once again, this weekend a doubleheader on Saturday noon start Fox Sports One Michigan State at Rutgers. Tom has Michigan State winning twenty eight twenty. I got the Spartans twenty eight. 10. Neither of us has Michigan State covering that 20 and a half point spread. Meanwhile, we differ, Tom and I, Michigan, Indiana. That's the afternoon cap, if you want to call it that. 3.30 Eastern time kickoff, ESPN. Wolverines favored by nine and a half. Tom likes Michigan to win it 31 to, did you say 10? Yeah. Yeah, 31-10. I got Indiana all the way up at 27, uh, kind of making it close at the end, but I, I don't think the Wolverines will ever be in danger of losing this game. Final 31-27. I got the Hoosiers to cover uh, what is a nine-and-a-half-point spread. Michigan winning by more than that for Tom. He's got the Wolverines. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling. Our thanks once again to Heather Frowry and the Record Lounge for their sponsorship of tonight's podcast. Again, you can find us on every podcast platform. If you're hearing us right now at our website, be sure to subscribe, download, listen, and tell your friends. Not just about GLD, Tom, myself, but about the Record Lounge, too. We want to make sure that Heather's holiday season is one to remember her new store space out front of the Rio Town Marketplace that's right south from downtown Lansing off 496 South Washington, the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. Yeah.